2: People talk about him shooting the ball, not wanting to pass the ball. He would pass the ball. But then if you missed a couple shots when he kicked it out to you, he'd tell your ass, if you don't hit the next one, I ain't passing this shit to you no more. <laughs> Kevin McHale was locking Carl Malone up on the other end. Uh-huh. And Larry was talking about, yeah, we too bad white boys, ain't we? <laughs> Penny was like, I can't wait till we play the Lakers. I'm going to go at that young boy. He tried to embarrass me. He changed back to number 23. So we came out, it was like, oh. <laughs> well. he was like a crazed animal.
0: Welcome back to another episode of Podcast P presented to you by Prize Picks, a Wave Sports and Entertainment original. We have another special guest in the building to present to you guys another episode of Story Mode. This guy right here has been a part of my career almost from the very start. One thing I love about him, he ain't afraid to tell it how it is. Introducing my guy, B Shaw. <laughs> Like <laughs> Appreciate you coming on to the show, B. Appreciate you
2: second for best. Finally having me. I was I just mad, that, yeah, man. That's y'all on been us. on a year and a year, year and a
1: half
0: and but it's all good. We, you know. we were saving it, you know, we were saving it
2: for a special time.
1: <laughs> he been waiting too, P, at your event. Oh, the golf the He day got day. it, he got on me for you. Oh, okay. Because he's been waiting on you to tell him when he's going to yeah. do the podcast. I just want to be I, a part, man. That's yeah.
3: all. I, I ain't lying. He, he ain't afraid to tell it how it is. Give <laughs> some context because, you know, we said the word afterthought. I want you to kind of, you know, this is your opportunity to kind of explain to Paul why why that's the new nickname.
0: Well,
2: you know, I, I, I'm sure like when Mr. B- I saw that Mr. Bomber had been on here. So I'm sure when he came, he got more than like a day or two notice to, to come on <laughs> the show and, you know, what everything was going to be about. Yeah. So, it just led me to believe, you know, cause I'm a truth teller that I was probably an afterthought. Like, you know, the, you couldn't find a guest; You needed to fill the slot. <laughs> it's all star break is here. We leaving on the plane in about an hour from now. And so, you know, who can we get to come at the last minute, the afterthought, B-Shaw. So you afterthought. I'm not, you know, black thought is, 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 <laughs> in, uh, is in the roots and I'm they afterthought. They did you dirty like
1: that. No, that ain't, that ain't, that ain't all the
2: way
0: true. So we. We we've always threw it out like, oh, hey, yo, let's get B, let's get B Shaw. Like, you know, he got story for days. You know, he'll 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 be great for this setting because you know he played with all of them. He he did been and seen everything. Five decades, five decades. That's the eighties, the nineties, two thousand,
2: 2000s, 2010s, and now we're in the two thousand twenties. You still look young, uh, fifty seven. Yeah. You ain't bad. It
0: just so happened at the time <laughs> that we needed to shoot this. it it, it couldn't work out for nobody's schedule it's all good so it was a timing a timing thing i got love for you so (laughs) i'm I'm gonna be here you call on me i'm gonna be here for you i got you (laughs) we just got a uh just a heads up we're shooting this uh during the all-star break so anything that happens during all-star weekend we'll address that the following monday so make sure y'all like subscribe and stay tuned to podcast p follow all of our socials all right well this is a special episode of story mode so we want to get right into the stories right away 2000 this was the height of my basketball uh you know early watching being a kid watching the Lakers we're going back to game 7 Western Conference Finals y'all playing the Portland Trail Blazers in a pivotal game 7 that probably could have changed the landscape of that decade um if y'all lost to the Blazers y'all go on and win you hit some clutch threes but during that was there any Point where y'all wavered y'all confidence or was y'all like man we, we in a hole because y'all was down big what, no, was that, what was that huddle like
2: well it was you know we felt like that Western Conference Finals was going to be that was actually the championship for us mm-hmm. um, Portland all season long had been the team you know they had just gotten Pippen uh, Steve Smith and Sabonis all the guys that they had that, Rashid Wallace that they had on that team and so we knew that it was going to come down to the two of us um, and momentum is a funny thing. We had it early in the series. Mm-hmm. They caught fire later on. And, um, you know, and in that game seven, they got up huge on us. And I just remember beginning of fourth quarter, Phil Jackson said we were looking to get the ball in the shack too much. and We got to just let it go. And so when your coach tells you basically you got the green light to let it fly. Mm-hmm. You know, I made up my mind as well as, you know, Rick Fox and Robert Ory and the rest of the guys. We throw it in the shack. They go double team him. He kicks it out. Now we're going to let it fly. And so it gave us the freedom to, you know, to do that. Portland was up, standing up, hooting and hollering and talking a lot of shit mm-hmm. that entire time when they got that lead. Um, you know, but we felt like, OK, they front runners. Let's see. You know, let's we're not going out like this. Yeah. And, um, you know, I had played with Shaq in Orlando prior um, and we got swept in the finals against in the in the Houston Rockets in 1995. And so I know we looked at each other and was like, you know, definitely we're not going out like that again. And so, uh, you know, hit the first one, hit the next one. Momentum started to change. Mm -hmm. And then you saw them kind of playing more not to lose as opposed to playing to win. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you
0: know, the rest is history. That was a a young code. What like what was in that moment? Did did you see more of? The vocal leader in Kobe that that rallied y'all together, or oh, like who was the vocal leader in that moment when y'all was going through that stretch?
2: Well, I mean, it was really it was it was our coach, um, Kobe and Shaq both led by led by example, mm-hmm. you know. So they just went out there and got it done. Now, what I what I appreciate about Kobe, especially, is he wasn't. You say that I'm not afraid to tell the truth and tell it like mm-hmm. it is. He was that way on the floor. Mm-hmm. You know, people talk about him shooting the ball, not wanting to pass the ball. He would pass the ball, but then mm-hmm. if you missed a couple of shots when he kicked it out to you, he'd tell your ass, "If you don't hit the next one, <laughs> I ain't passing this shit to you no more, <laughs> and I don't want to <laughs> hear your mouth about about me not passing the ball." Oh, you know, so he put that pressure on you. <laughs> yeah. And either you you know, you could take it, you know, or you couldn't. And so um I think it was just more of a feeling and more of a look that once we once we started going, you know, we knew what we had as a team. And once we got it going, nobody needed to say, say anything. And it just flowed um, and happened the way it happened organically. Mm-hmm. Um, and in our confidence, we never, it never wavered. Um, but once the momentum changed back into our favor, we just rode it on, you know, to the end.
3: What is that like, like playing with them too? Like I just saw, uh, I think it was like Iguodala. I think P.J. Tucker was even on it. But they were talking about how it can be difficult to get going as a player when the ball's not in your hands. And so you have those two guys on your team. And then you have the added pressure of Kobe telling it like it is and coming up to you and saying, hey, if you don't make the next shot, I'm not passing it to you. How is a player doing? Do you kind of work through that?
2: Well, we had, um, you know, obviously our coaching staff was very experienced. They had won six championships with the Bulls. Um, One of our assistant coaches, Tex Winter, always told us that, you know, if with all things being equal, you play 20% of the time with the ball in your hand and the other 80% of the time without it in your hand, right? Because only one player can have a ball at a time. There's five players on the court. So the other 80% of the things that you're doing are really more important than the 20% that one one player has that ball in his hands. So we knew, you know, the triangle offense uh, basically is, you got, especially when you have two players like Kobe and Shaq, you take them two bad motherfuckers and put them over there mm-hmm. and put them in a two man game. And what you gonna, you gonna blitz the pick and roll, or you going to or are you going to you're not going to go under Kobe mm-hmm. so they got their little thing going if you take away what they're doing over there you got three dudes on the other side that are capable of hitting the ball uh hitting shots when they're open that are that have high basketball IQ um and know exactly how to make whatever play needs to be made you know at that particular time so for us it wasn't a matter of not letting them down it was easier for us because They they get double teamed and triple teamed and teams are are game planning them as opposed to us. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I miss enough. Like, you know, we have young players on our team now that that weren't born when I was playing. And they asked me about my game and I said they say you were a shooter. huh? I said, no, I wasn't a shooter. I just made timely shots. And so playing with Kobe and Shaq and them getting the attention, it's like those dunks that you have on your shoe, right? They on your shoes, they might costs $150 for a pair of shoes, right? So you got the sole, you got the 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 upper of the shoe and what have you? That's Kobe and Shaq. They they take the brunt of everything. The rest of us were like the shoelace. The shoelace <laughs> holds that shoe together. Right. So without the shoelace, you don't have any support. So we were very good and and accepting of where the support players y'all score 65 to 75 points the The rest of us will score between the two of them. The rest of us have score 30 points combined. We'll score 100 and we'll hold teams under 100. And that kind of was our recipe for mm-hmm. in, in the playoffs. And so we were good with that. Mm-hmm.
3: And was there any like shock? Like that lob that he threw to Shaq was probably one of the most iconic like Kobe Shaq moments. But Kobe, you know, you've probably seen Kobe force a, a few game winners was there any shock within the 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 team or any jokes that were said about like Kobe actually gave the ball up there to Shaq? We joked about it
2: afterwards, but it wasn't really a joke like when when it really came down to it, like the media made more of the beef between the two of them and one one area that they were really professional about is that when it was time to play and and to to win a game they they gave it everything they had all the other you know, beefs and grudges or anything else that might have been going on. They 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 put that to the side and they handled the business when it was time to handle the business. Mm-hmm. Now, I wish that um, it could have, you know, there was less beefing and stuff away from the court, because I think if that team wouldn't have been broken up, then there could have been more success and more championships behind it. But. Um, but I, I, I still think we maximized what we had. And, and nobody was really surprised when Kobe threw that pass to Shaq. Um, it was the right play, mm-hmm. the right play to make. And, you know, 10 times out of 10 in those situations, they were going to make the right play.
1: Mm-hmm. Speaking of uh, breaking up, since that was the start of the um, Lakers 3 Pete, do you think if y'all would have lost that series to the Blazers, y'all would have broke up the team? Some of us would
2: have been would, would have been gone for <laughs> <gone, Yeah>. sure. <laughs> I mean, you know, you're gonna keep Shaq and Kobe. Um, obviously, they were the they were the core of the team. But then they would have, you know, immediately looked to. I mean, I was at the you know towards the end of my career. Ron Harper was toward you know he was right. older. Um, Robert Ory as well. Um, so you know, some of the some of us uh, peripheral players would have probably been somewhere else, and they would have tried to upgrade those positions. Um, and even after that, like Glenn Rice was on that team. He wasn't on the team for the for the second championship right. the next year, you know. So every year, and, and it's hard for guys in today's game to understand that that team that you come into training camp with and that you go through the season with, and if you're fortunate enough to win the championship when it's done, it's not going to be the exact same team that you come back with next year Thanks. regardless, because you're going to have draft picks that are going to be on the team. Yeah. You're going to have other guys assign free agency and go somewhere else. So... Um, And that was Phil Jackson's first year. Um, So, you know, like I said, some of us would have been gone, but the core group would have would have remained the same.
3: We wanted to take a brief break from the episode to let you know that Prize Picks has got you guys covered when it comes to helping you make some money during the NBA season. That's
1: right, baby. Prize Picks is helping me cash in. Prize Picks is a daily fantasy app, and with the NBA season in full swing, you can select two or more players, pick more or less on their projected stats, and turn twenty five dollars into two fifty. Prize Picks is really easy, simple to play. I can make my picks and submit my entry in less than sixty seconds, y'all.
3: It's also that time of the year where many sports are happening at the same time. And of course, Prize Picks allows you to pick combo projections across all different sports like basketball. You can even do esports like League of Legends and CS2Go. So you can support all your favorite teams while still cashing in.
1: Well, I know for me, I've been cashing in. I don't know about that. I'm talking about Legion of Dooms and all that stuff. (laughs) But uh, that's a story for another day. Be sure to visit prizepicks.com slash podcast P and use code podcast P for a first deposit match up to $100. And you all already know what time it Cha-ching! Now back to the show. Continuing on through the
0: stories the following season y'all sweep basically the first three teams right y'all run through the Blazers y'all run through the Kings y'all run through the Spurs 11-0 now y'all facing a red hot AI in the championship that following season what was that like going into that because y'all at a high y'all feeling good and then now y'all coming across AI what was that locker room like because I know Kobe wanted this matchup
2: For sure. And it was in his uh, playing against a team, you know, where he grew up in Philly.
0: But we weren't worried about Philly uh,
2: at all Mm -hmm. because we had gotten in such a groove that season. And in the playoffs, when we went through those first three rounds, we didn't have to call any plays or anything. Um, The triangle is basically if the team is taking what the defense gives you. Mm -hmm. When they took away certain things, we just we just did our our autos and, and counters to what they took away. Um, and so we were, we were in such a groove. I don't know if any team would have, you know, now we dropped that first game. We, I think we had 11 days off because we swept everybody. Mm -hmm. The Eastern Mm -hmm. conference was still playing. Mm -hmm. So our biggest thing was how do we stay sharp during this 11 day layoff, Mm -hmm. you know, which is unheard of, especially 11 days, 11 days going into the finals, going into the (laughs) finals because we had to wait for the Eastern conference. I think. Philly and uh, Toronto, I think it was, that uh, that went seven games or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but even in, in, in that situation, um, you know, they they had Iverson, I think, who was the MVP of the league that year. Aaron McKee was sixth man of the year. Matumbo was defensive player of the year. Larry Brown was coach of the mm-hmm. year. So that was Phil Jackson used that, that to kind of keep us grounded like, you know, this is going to be tough because they got all the guys that won all the awards and this, that, and the other, even though we knew that nobody couldn't really fuck with us. Mm-hmm. And so Iverson came out hot in that first game. I think he scored 48. That's the game that he stepped over T. Lou. Mm-hmm. T. Lou hadn't been in the rotation, hadn't been playing at all. And I remember we were all dejected after the game because we wanted to go. No team had gone through. At that time, you only had to win 15 games to, to win the championship in the playoffs. No team had gone 15-0. And, and so that was our motivation, our goal. We When we lost that first game, I remember being in the shower after the game and Ty Lu, who had come in for the first time, and he really did a good job on Iverson during the time that he was in the game. And he had his head down. And I said, man, don't have your head down. I said, do you realize how much money you just made for yourself? Mm-hmm. And he said, what <laughs> you mean? And I said, you keep on making it hard for Iverson when you go out there, and every team in on the Eastern Conference in the Eastern Conference is gonna want you, right? Just to try to combat Iverson because his contract was up at at the end of that season, and so, um, you know, we lost that game, and then, uh, you know, it was it just broke the momentum of us, you know, sweeping that series as well like we did the other ones, but you know, we just said now we just got to end it in uh in Philly, which we did, and, yeah. Uh, we did, I guess, what you would call a reverse sweep A reverse after, sweep. We, after yeah, we lost four, that first game, that.
0: right? Did it? Did something just feel different about that season? Like, because I know y'all had just won the championship the previous year, like, and then y'all go on that stretch of eleven to zero in the postseason. At what point, like during that season, did y'all feel like, oh, okay, we got another one in us?
2: I mean, we we felt it. We felt it after we won the first one, um, because the majority of that team was coming back. I think we added. Uh, for that second championship, we added J.R. Ryder, who wasn't active during the during the playoffs. We added um Horace Grant, who had championship experience with the Bulls, who was on our team in Orlando with Shaq and I when we got swept in the finals. Um so we added some some guys that yeah, we felt, you know, even strengthened us even more. And um so, you know, we like I said, I I felt that if you know, if it wasn't for that, the the fourth season after we, you know, we won three, we could have won four in a row. Shaq had to get toe surgery. A lot of things happened. Mm-hmm. You know, they kind of they broke everything up. But um, we were confident that we were the best team and we showed that throughout the
0: season in each one of those seasons. Yeah. I got to ask one more follow-up on that. I mean, because we talked about Kobe and, and Shaq and their relationship. But as y'all winning, did you feel that, like, that pulled them further or was winning the championships was bringing them somewhat a little closer?
2: Well, you know, like I said before, there was a closeness between them when it got between the lines, mm-hmm. right? But there was a competitiveness between them. About uh, who's number one. And Yeah, because cause as, as petty as it sounds, if the games were on NBC or ABC, whatever, whoever had the contract at that time, if they said Shaq and the Lakers versus... <laughs> Allen Iverson and the Philadelphia 76ers, Kobe, then Kobe would that. get mad. <laughs> and if they said Kobe and the, and the Lakers and it didn't say Shaq, then he would get mad. But that was, that was their competitiveness. Yeah, now, I had been through that before in Orlando with Penny and Shaq, you know, the same thing. And Shaq is a big dude. Shaq, you know, as a point guard, um, and everybody, I would say, with the exception of Kobe that played with Shaq, deferred to Shaq. It's your team. You the big fella. Mm-hmm. He was going to have the biggest house. He was going to have the most cars. You know, you wasn't going to outdo him in in every area. So most of us, 99.9% of us were like, all right, big fella, it's yours. Yeah. You know, and 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 we fed into that. Kobe wasn't having that. Yeah. You know, so when he would come back uh, after the season was over and working hard all, all, se- all off season to get in shape and fill with tail shack, Take this, you you've been beat up the whole season long. Take this, use next season to get yourself in shape for the when the playoffs come around. And the Shaq would come in in training camp out of shape. And Kobe would be like, <laughs> I work my ass off and your fat ass gonna come in training camp out of shape and overweight, yeah. you know, what have you. And then that's where it kind of starts. That's where it, that's where it would kind of start. But they would say that and it would get out there, but once the once the
1: game started and we got between the lines, they just handled their business. Hilarious. Um, bringing up Allen Iverson that year when he won the MVP, can you describe to me how was it having to guard Allen Iverson at his peak? Yeah, I can
2: tell you it was damn near impossible. <laughs> and I say that because when I first came in the league, and I think all the way up until 93, you you could hand check. Mm. And then after that, you couldn't hand check anymore. So, mm. I was 180 pounds when I first came in the league and there were strong ass guards like Alvin Robertson and Joe Dumars and Derek uh, Harper that could put their hand around my waist and move me around, right? Cause they were that strong. I was that skinny mm-hmm. and you could hand check. It was legal. When Iverson came in the league, the hand checking, there was no hand checking anymore. So if a guy caught the ball and he turned and he faced, you couldn't have your hands on him at all, and with his quickness and his ball handling ability, and be, and the fact that he was always in attack mode, like I said, it was virtually impossible yeah. to and guard you know he's him.
0: Too. getting thirty shots. Yeah, so it's yeah. You
2: know, a lot of people don't know. I played half a season for the for the Sixers in ninety seven, mm. the year that Larry Brown moved Iverson from the one to the two, and the reason why he did that. Eric Snow and I were the point guards on that team. And the reason why he did that because he would dribble around for 20 seconds trying to get his shot off and then throw you a grenade grenade the last two to four seconds (laughs) because he couldn't get his shot off. So then, you know, Larry Brown was like, you know what, we're going to take him off the ball and at least initiate the offense and start it over here and then bring it back to him, (laughs) you know, and, and let him do his thing. But, yeah, he was hard to guard. Did
1: you ever get a piece of that crossover? Oh yeah, you got yeah. that. Yeah, okay. I just yeah. want to know. No, who you got
2: that. no shame, you know. <laughs> 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 who, which means that I was out there on the court. Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: right. Yeah. Right. Like, where did the rule, the hand check rule? Like, who, who in the league? Because I know, like, it's got to be somebody in particular that they had to implement this rule.
2: I think it was more so that the the game started slowing down. It was more so probably when Pat Riley was coaching the Knicks and the style of play that they started to play. I mean, you know, you had the bad boy Pistons in in the late 80s and early 90s that and big men that if you came down the lane, they was going to put you on your back, Mm -hmm. you know, and you've seen some of the some of the fouls and some of the uh, uh, physicality that went on and it was nothing like you could fight and throw punches and not get thrown out of the game, you know, maybe just get a technical foul. And so I think the league was just trying to get away from that level of physicality and they wanted the scores to start elevating, you know, rising more than what they were. Because, you know, at that time the games were, you know, you might win a game Mm 95-89 and people want action and they want to get up and down. The three point shot wasn't as relevant then as it is now. Mm -hmm. Um, So what that did is it allowed for players like him that were very (laughs) skilled offensively and fast to be able to to it increased uh, possessions in the game and, uh, and it increased scoring. And that's what the fans want to see, you know. And mm-hmm. so it kind of opened it up for that to
0: happen. Got it. You played with Shaq twice throughout your career, once in Orlando, as you mentioned, uh, and then when you came to L.A. with the Lakers. From that 94 Shaq up until when you joined the Lakers, uh, what was the biggest difference you noticed in, in Shaq's game and his improvement? He was more ma- more
2: mature, you know, when uh, I mean, he was always like a big kid, but he was more mature by the time I got with him with the Lakers. He started to feel more like, you know, people were going to look at him like he wasn't living up to his billing because he hadn't won anything yet. And so he filled out. He just had more experience under his belt yeah. by the time he got to the Lakers. And imagine the Shaq that, that you know from the Lakers, who was probably that whole time when he was on the Lakers, probably around the 300 pound mark and bigger. Yeah. When he was in Orlando with us, he was probably 275, Damn. 280. Flying. And he was flying up yeah. and down the court and he was agile and he was active and he had as much mobility as anybody. And and, and like you saw him acting, you saw him rapping. Everything. But any, if, if you took a dude 5'10 and you put him on this table right here and you said, and you called out some dances for him to do, Shaq could do every dance as well or yeah. not better than somebody, you know, somebody a lot smaller. And so he had he had that and mm. just that type of energy, um, you know, and what have you. And so um, t- definitely two
1: different players, but both of them were dominant. Mm. I want to talk about one of PG's favorite players, Mr. Penny Hardaway. If Penny Hardaway was injury free, you know what I'm saying, didn't get injured so much, how you how legendary do you think his career would have been? Because of course you was there, you know he was a special guy, you got to see him up close. Can you tell me a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, I I think Penny Hardaway would have been in the discussion, especially if he would have had a long career, let's say somewhere that spanned around the time that Kobe's did and how LeBron's, you know, played twenty years now. Um, if he could have played, you know, fifteen to eighteen years in the NBA, I think he'd be in the discussion about being the goat. Yeah. He was that talented. He was 6-8. He could post up. He had he could shoot threes. He could handle the ball. He was one of the best passers that the league has ever seen. Um he had a super high basketball IQ and he had that same competitiveness and drive that you see that you've seen in Kobe, that you see that you saw in in Shaq. Um, you know, and those guys, he was just more quiet with it, but definitely, um, I mean, and anybody who played against him from Jordan to Kobe and any, anybody else would tell you the same thing. Like he was coming and it was no accident that in his second year and Shaq's third year, we went to the finals, um, you know, had the best record in the East and, and got to the finals. We were the last team to knock off Jordan, Mm -hmm. you know, one of his playoff teams. You know, and so that was a, a super young team. And it's just unfortunate that that he had the injury. And it, and and I think it never got it never got well enough because he came back. He, he wanted to play so bad. He came back, came too back way too early and it never it never got right. Mm-hmm. It's also unfortunate that that the players of today, like, didn't really get a chance to to really, really see him because he was, like I said, he would be in the discussion Glad as, I did. as one of the best to ever do it you at didn't that position. You didn't do one of
1: them Penny Hardaway commercials with him? Nah,
2: you know, you know, Little Penny and they and they created Little Penny because he was so quiet, you know, that they they wanted they something to kind of bring out him, his huh? his personality. Wow. And when I said that I saw Shaq and Kobe before Shaq and Kobe, it was Shaq and Penny. Mm. And I still remember Shaq. Shaq was with Reebok and he was his. It was like I think Reebok's thing was. It's your world or whatever. And Shaq was doing a commercial and he was sitting on the couch like that. Reebok commercial. They had Lil' Penny jump up on the couch and say, hey, Shaq, can I be in your world? And Shaq turned around and elbowed Lil' Penny off the, off couch. the couch. You I remember, remember that commercial? I remember commercial? that. I remember <laughs> that. And, and I remember when I saw that and I was like, oh, that ain't cool. Yeah, you know, like, like Reebok did the commercial. And it was funny, yeah. you know, whatever. But between the two of them, you know, being teammates and that was Penny's. Penny's thing yeah. you know that was like like I said what I saw with them later on down the line with with him and Kobe mm-hmm. it was just that competitiveness Reebok, Nike um, you know is it Penny in the Orlando Magic playing whoever or playing Jordan in the Bulls or is it Shaq in the Orlando Magic right. playing you know so um, it was just the whole thing reincarnated again when Kobe came through. Got it. I can share one story about uh, Penny and and uh, Kobe so I played against Kobe's father in Italy. Okay. And that's when I first met him. He was about 10 years old. And I didn't see him from that year that I played in Italy. I didn't see him again until he was a junior in high school. Wow! His father brought him to the, we were, that's the year we were in the finals against Houston. And um, his father brought Kobe, uh, Jelly Bean brought Kobe to the game. And now I'm looking at him. He's six six, same height as me. And he's telling me, man, you know, I'm thinking about coming out of uh, coming straight into the NBA out of the 11th grade. Yeah. Wow! <laughs> and so I hadn't seen when him, you, you know, followed you. him or whatever. But I'm like, man, this dude crazy <laughs> Talk, talking about he's going to jump from the, to the NBA at, in the 11th grade. I remember now now he and he looked up to Penny. Yeah. So the next year I see his press conference that he's for going going to college and going to enter the draft. At that time, Magic Johnson used to have his Magic's Midsummer Nights. That little
1: event out here in L.A. Right, wow. right. Ooh. Charity game yep. and all of that, right? And all the Barron parties. Davis took over. Right, Baron and Pierce took that over.
2: Yeah, yeah. So all the guys, you know, and all the big stars would come out and play in that. So Penny was playing in it and Magic put Kobe. Kobe was just getting ready to come into the league, put him on the other team. Mm-hmm. So you know, in the all star game and you know in a charity game like that, everybody just having a good time yeah. putting on a show for the fans, Kobe was going at Penny's rack, yeah, he took it serious, yeah, he took it serious, <laughs> and he was talking crazy and and so Penny was like, you know kind of like, damn, okay, so I remember he circled the uh he circled the uh calendar the the following season when he came back to training camp, he was like, "I can't wait till we play the till, till we play the Lakers." I'm gonna go at that young boy.
0: Yeah, he tried to, he, you know, he tried to embarrass me at, at Magic's thing when we was all trying to take it easy. Cause how how many years is Penny was Penny older than Kobe at that time? I think
2: maybe three year, three or four years. Okay. And so this had to be ninety. I think Kobe was drafted in '96, so this was going into the '96 '97 season. It was that okay. summer going into that. Okay. And Penny, I think Penny came in the league in '94. 90, or okay. so maybe yeah, th- two or three years ahead. So this is
0: prime Penny. Prime Penny. Yeah, and
2: when we played him, uh, you know, Kobe wasn't playing, so he didn't get a chance to really to, get, to, a, to really go at him. him. But it just it just was that was Kobe's mentality. Whether we we were playing Jordan, uh, you know, anybody else who who was supposed to be that guy. He was gonna he was gonna test you and try to get a piece of you.
0: Yeah. What was the conversations after that, like pickup game when y'all see young Kobe like, oh, youngster. Sh- yeah, oh shit, yeah, this young boy he coming. what well, like, uh, th- was that the conversation? Everybody knew he was coming out.
2: Oh yeah, because he w- he was he, imagine um, imagine his confidence level. The Lakers just traded they starting center to Charlotte because that you know that's where he got drafted to yeah. Charlotte. Yep. Um, traded Vladi. To get Kobe, they had Eddie Jones, who was really, really good. He was an all-star, yeah. you know, and all of that. And and then he wasn't playing. And so he was hungry. He wanted to play anybody who would play him. And even when when I got on the team with Kobe, every year, like I told you, we added J.R. Ryder. And then the next year we, we added Lindsey Hunter and, and uh, Mitch Richmond mm-hmm. to that Laker team even later on when i started coaching and ron artest came to the to the lakers the first thing that kobe would tell phil is when we start scrimmaging put me on the other team cuz he he needed to establish the pecking order this is my shit mm-hmm. and i'm gonna let you know that this is my shit mm-hmm. so i remember jr Ryder uh uh scored on kobe and was talking shit one day in practice early in that season <laughs> wrong thing so so kobe said me and you after practice, one on one, and so Phil stopped practice, and then we all just went and sat on the side and watched them two and play. watched them two <laughs> play and two play one on one. Yeah, and Kobe apps and Jr. Ryder could hoop. Ate yeah. his ass up. And Kobe ate his ass up. <laughs> he chewed <laughs> him up. And so we was left- we were sitting on the sideline, <laughs> and uh, Horace Grant, I remember going, "Be careful what you ask for," <laughs> and he got so mad that he came over the sideline, fist balled up, all swole up, he was like, I'll beat all y'all asses. Cause he was so embarrassed, you know, but but that's what Kobe did that with Artest, he did that with Mitch Richmond, he did that with Lindsey Hunter when he came. Um, Later on, Jim Jackson and Aaron McKee got, uh, they signed with the Lakers later on in their career. Um, Same thing, He, he was gonna establish the pecking order, this is my shit, I'm the guy. And you got to come through me. Yeah. Hilarious. I love that. Oh, you don't.
3: That's the shit you would do, P. Nah, that Because you're so I mean, competitive. I, 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 yeah. That, <laughs> that's different, though. That's different. I like in that story that the coach allowed that. Allow and that's that. kind of a, a testament Jackson, to what he was actually doing. Like, you don't hear many coaches, like...
0: Let that happen. Like, yeah. if, if but you got to think, in. he was cut out for that, having Jordan. Right. So he knew... Like, hey, like, what that meant.
2: Phil never liked to have team meetings. And so we insisted one day, we like, you know what? Fuck what you're talking about. Because everybody was mad because early on, Kobe wouldn't pass the ball. So um, Phil had no problem cussing Shaq out, getting on Shaq's ass, but he would never say anything to Kobe early on. So I remember, so I have German Shepherds. And um, and they 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 are protection trained and what have you. And uh, my my dog trainer always said to me, the first six to eight months that you had his puppy, don't ever tell it no, because what we want to do is we want this dog to be so confident that he feels like he could do everything. The discipline part can come later on, hmm. you know, once his confidence is at a certain point, right? So even he gonna chew up shit in your house. In your yard or whatever, you just gotta, you, you, just, gotta, say no you just gotta, you just gotta deal with it. Let your dog do whatever, so he feels like he's the dude, he's the man. So when I went, when we had the team meeting, and I remember asking Phil, "How come you don't never say nothing to Shaq? I mean, you always say everything to Shaq. You don't say nothing to Kobe." And he said, "Because for this team, we always need Kobe to be in attack mode." Mm. And then that immediately. Made me think about what my dog trainer said about mm. my German Shepherd. in attack mode, and so it was exactly what our team needed. Mm-hmm. Right, Shaq came from a disciplinary. His father was his stepfather was military. Right, yes sir, no sir, and whatever you asked him to do and told him to do, he was obedient. Mm-hmm. Kobe was that German Shepherd puppy that mm. nobody ever said no to. Mm-hmm. Right, he had sisters, he was the only boy. Yeah. Father played in the NBA um, and 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 he was the the golden child, mm-hmm. right? So, and then Phil nurtured that confidence mm-hmm. in him at the detriment. Now, I wouldn't say detriment, but at the expense of us on the, the rest of us on the team getting the brunt of him yelling and screaming and what have you, but not saying a whole lot to Kobe. Mm-hmm. And then, but That's you great. see, you That's see how, amazing. yeah, and we, and we needed that. And yeah. he was always, in attack mode.
0: Yeah. You just talk about Phil just knowing personalities and how to kind of coach everybody differently. Like, do you feel uh, Phil Jackson was the only man for that job between those two? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I haven't played for, I mean, I played for, you know, different coaches. I think
2: uh, one of the things I respect about Popovich is it didn't matter if you, like, I saw him getting Tim Duncan's ass, uh, 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 Tony Parker, Mm -hmm. Ginobili, David Robinson, like, it was no hierarchy in terms of when it was time to coach you, you're going to be coached. And coaching is so much different now than it was then, right? Because cause players don't want to feel like they're being shown up now. But coaches then, you know, it was times when players and coaches fought. It was times when agents and GMs fought mm-hmm. when they're negotiating contracts you know, and and so and and you got cussed out all the time, and you know it was nothing. That was the way it was done. We live in a different time now, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so
0: so that don't that doesn't fly like it like yeah. it used to. Did did Phil ever hold any like? You know, I don't know how it was because Kobe is pretty self motivated. But did he ever like? Well, Michael would do this. Like, did he ever hold that over Kobe? <laughs> he never. He never
2: did that, and he never. Answered the question who he thought was
0: better. Yeah. Publicly. Yeah.
2: He he did say later on that he gave Michael the, the edge over Kobe only because Michael had bigger hands. Yeah. And he could palm the ball off the dribble and, and do stuff that Kobe couldn't do. But even when he said that, then after that came out, Kobe, you saw every time in the, in the locker room, Kobe had vice grips. And he was strengthening his hands. So that he could try to get that to that man a point was where man. <laughs> <laughs> so he could get <laughs> to better Yeah, yeah. It was it was just, like, yeah I'm gonna strengthen my hands. And then you, all you saw him after after Phil said that yeah. was he trying to get to a point where he could palm the ball. <laughs> <laughs> all
0: right. Speaking of MJ, you talked about y'all being one of the, the last teams to beat a Michael Jordan team in that ninety five year. Y'all went to the finals. Uh he came out of retirement that season. Um, so what was that like? The conversations knowing Y'all playing against the Bulls. MJ coming out of retirement. Y'all got Penny, Shaq, um, and this is the GOAT uh, in MJ. What was that conversation like when y'all was playing against the Bulls So that, that Bulls year,
2: team? I mean, we had we were uh, the number one seed in the East. So, And he had missed most of that year. You know, he was still playing baseball. Hadn't come back from, from playing baseball or whatever yet. And so um, we felt with him or without him, you know, our record indicated we were exactly where we needed to be. Number one seed in the East going into the playoffs. And um, and so once we got to him, you know, obviously he came back and he started playing. He was wearing number 45. So it kind of it wasn't the same. It wasn't the same, AJ, right? yeah. Huh? And his timing was a little off. He was a little more rusty. And I remember, and a lot of people may not know this, but within that series, I think after game two, when we went to Chicago, was maybe game two or game three, we played the first two at home, um, Jordan changed his jersey back to number 23 mm. because Nick Anderson, after we had won uh, game three or game four, whichever game it was, he said, Number forty-five ain't what number twenty-three used to be. Wow! And then everybody oh, was like, <laughs> "Wow, you need to shut your ass up," because <laughs> <What? laughs> you know, because he he can. I mean, he he wasn't far off, yeah. you know. And so then when we got back to Chicago. He came out in number twenty-three, and I don't even know if if you could really do that.
0: Yeah, <laughs> change numbers, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, you sure. know, because I know
2: when you apply for a different number, you got to do it you like the do it a year, year and before. It, yeah. You know to be able to do that, but he changed back to number twenty three. So when we came out. It was at
1: first. It was like, oh shit, <laughs> twenty two just looked different. Like, oh, he Jordan
0: yeah. again. Yeah. yeah, that's Jordan again. What was the league like? Like when you like it, it had to be a sigh of relief when when y'all knew MJ was going to play baseball. It had to be like, all right, this shit is wide open now.
2: Yeah, I mean, I mean to the to the, to a degree. I mean, there were good teams. The Knicks were, you know, the Knicks were still good. Um. The Pistons had uh, Grant Hill, you know, at that time. Um, the Pacers were uh, going to the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, we had just be- we had just uh, beaten them. Uh, I think it was the year before to go to the finals. You know, they had Reggie Miller and uh, Rick Smits and you know, and, uh, Mark Jackson, all the guys that they had. Um, so, you know, it was still competitive, but yeah, there was definitely a feeling that you know it's anybody's title to be you know to be taken now on the other side the team to deal with was the rockets with Elijah Wan mm-hmm. um which we had beat them twice during that year soundly yeah. handily and uh but mid season they made a trade and they traded Otis Thorpe and somebody for Clyde Drexler mm. um so we went into that finals very very confident that we were going to beat the beat the rockets and um and win that championship and uh you know it didn't it didn't end up happening that yeah, way uh-huh. um you know once we got there but but it definitely felt like uh, I mean, cuz the rockets won back to back 94 and 95 yeah you know but mm-hmm. uh, on the eastern conference side when with jordan now it definitely felt like yeah. you know it it was Anybody up for grabs
3: it. yeah And then the following season, they win 72 games as a team. Did you guys know you were facing kind of a a different animal? And then looking at that uh, 72-win Bulls season, if you were going to stack that team up against those three Pete Lakers and let's say the the Warriors with KD, where would you rank that Bulls team um, across those three?
2: So the worst thing that we did after winning that series against them and that knocked them out, was Horace Grant had a real good, ser- real good series against them. And we won that last game in Chicago. And we hoisted Horace Grant up on, on our shoulders and carried him off the court. <laughs> and Jordan saw that. So they, that was his motivation all through the, the offseason to get back to that point again. I think they felt like they knew they were going to see us again because mm-hmm. we were young. Mm-hmm. And um, so when it got to that next year, the Eastern Conference Finals once again, um, and it's us and us and the Bulls. And I think this time they had home court, they had Rodman, uh, you know, they had added Rodman to their team um, that year. Then uh, we knew that it was going to be, you know, it, we were facing a different Jordan. He wasn't rusty. Um, and and they ended up sweeping us, you know, in, in that series. So, um, yeah, we definitely knew that we were going to have our hands full. And, you know, obviously – they went on to win another three, Pete. Um, if I was to try to judge who I mean, I'll, I'll tell you this: the Warriors and that 73 win team that they had would be third out of those three because mm. uh, they didn't they didn't end up winning, right? Mm-hmm. so yeah, they had a great regular season, but at the end of it, if you don't culminate that with a championship, then and the other two teams that you're mentioning in that same breath mm. did. Then and then both of those other teams have uh, three peated. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the Warriors would definitely be third. And then you know it's it's hard to say because I feel like Jordan and Jordan and Kobe cancel each other out, and they they still wouldn't had anybody to deal with Shaq. Mm-hmm. And then you know the role players for both teams were good. You know so um, that's what that's one that we have to wonder about. But yeah. it's it's definitely. The, the, the Lakers and the Bulls teams won at one at 1A or however you want to look at it. And then the, the Warriors after that, because the Warriors had nobody that could deal with Jordan and they had nobody that could deal with Shaq. Yeah. You know, but the game is obviously played differently. They I think that teams now get away with shooting as many threes and stuff as they have now because there's nobody in the league like Shaq. Probably Joel Embiid is probably the closest closest to him. I um think. but they would have to as much as many threes as they would be shooting, we would just be throwing the ball inside to Shaq. He would file everybody out.
0: Hilarious. <laughs> yeah. You
2: know, and and there's there's no answer to that.
1: Yeah. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. One relationship misconception is that it must be easy to be successful. But the truth is successful relationship require effort from both parties. It takes time patience and understanding to build a strong foundation. How did therapy contribute to the development of your current great relationship?
0: I think it's pinpointing the good and the bad, obviously working on the bad Mm -hmm. and being mindful of the good. Um, I think just getting that out, talking through it, um, you know, can help alleviate a
3: lot of, you know, stress and pressure.
1: What about you, Dallas?
3: Yeah, I'd say just with therapy, it helps you talk and and really it's just learning how to communicate, kind of you know, hearing both sides and and being able to fight fair and just have a conversation. And I, I think that helps everything.
0: Therapy is a safe space where individuals can address and overcome the challenges they face in their relationships with others. It provides an opportunity to explore and work through issues in various relationships, such as with friends, colleagues at work, romantic partners, or anyone else.
3: Therapy helps learn coping skills, set boundaries, and become your best self. It's not just for those who have experienced major trauma.
1: If you're considering starting therapy, try BetterHelp. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule.
0: Become your own soulmate, whether you're looking for one or not. Visit BetterHelp.com slash podcast P today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash podcast P.
1: Well, us being from L.A., I know at the time this probably was amazing news for us. But how devastating was it when Shaq decided to leave Orlando and come to the lake show, baby? Huh? <laughs> so I was actually
2: out fishing. P- P- Dallas, y'all know I love to fish. Yeah. So I was actually out fishing in Orlando with this, this old man that I used to go fishing with, and I hadn't heard the news. And, um, and so while we were out there fishing, he said to me, I think somebody called him or something, and he said, you're about to find out how hot it really is because you lost your shade tree. And I, you know. He, <laughs> yeah, I know. No, right. It's crazy, right? An old, old country-ass yeah. saying, right? You lost your shade tree. Yeah, he said, I, he, said, he, said, he said, he said, y'all just lost your shade tree, so now you're going to see how hot it is. <laughs> like, what? okay, what? And, and so he's like, yes, yeah, uh, they just said Shaq just signed with the Lakers. So I'm like, for real, so I, I I pull out my I think you know back then we had the the Motorola flip phone right, or right. whatever, calling around, and lo and behold, um, Shaq was had signed with the Lakers, so everybody was disappointed. Everybody was uh you know the 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 magic to let somebody like Shaq get away at such a young age for nothing, mm-hmm. got nothing in return for it. I didn't understand what that old man's saying until the following season because our team was built around Shaq mm-hmm. being double-teamed, right? We had Nick Anderson, we had uh, uh, Dennis Scott, um, Penny, myself, and then other three-point shooters that were um, basically just played off them double-teaming them, We us swinging it around in a rotation, and whoever was open knocking down threes. Now all of a sudden you you don't have anybody – in that low post getting double teamed, the only one that could go get their own shot was Penny. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of us were wow. role players, yeah. support players, right? That the, the shoelaces. <laughs> the shoelaces. <laughs> and so So now, sho- you, now you got shoelace and no shoe. <laughs> you know, other other than Penny. So all those open shots that me and 3D and Nick Anderson and those guys were used to getting Wouldn't disappeared. Get they dried up. up. So so now. You know they pressing up on us, and like I say, Penny was the only one that could really you know really go get his, yeah. So then I remember thinking back, I was like, oh, okay, now <laughs> yeah. I understand what that old man was saying. shade trees,
4: I was a motherfucker right now. <laughs> it's sunny. No, oh, yeah. there's
1: no shade now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Hilarious. So everybody got a tan that
1: season. <laughs> that locker room was quiet. Yeah. Boy. it was different. And people uh, was coming for us, you yeah. know,
0: because they, they, y'all ain't got the, the, the advantage now. Right. They got that
2: right. big right.
1: motherfucker out of out yeah. here. Yeah.
0: yeah. Loving the stories, we want to move it along to back When you first got drafted in 88 to the Boston Celtics, you played one season, then went overseas and played in Italy to then come back to play two more seasons with the Celtics. Was that regular, like, to go overseas and play overseas? Was that – that was out of the norm back then?
2: Yeah, everybody said I was crazy uh, for doing what I did. But what happened was the salary cap situations were a little bit different. And the Boston Celtics, even though I was a first-round pick, at that time, it was only 25 teams in the league. I was; They were the 24th pick. Only 25? Was that an odd number? 25 teams in the league at oh. that time. So um, they were, the, the most that I could make as a, fir- or the, the minimum that I could make as a first-round pick was $150,000 in 1988. Everybody else that was in my draft class went from the first picks. Uh, Danny Manning was the first pick who was making like a million-something to everybody to to probably down to about 400,000 mm-hmm. a year. Um I only can make 150,000 because the the Celtics were, you know, they were paying Larry Bird and Kevin McHale and mm-hmm. Robert Parrish and DJ Danny Ainge and so that's wasn't all a, the money that was left. So it wasn't still, a
0: rookie scaling back then. Right? right.
2: So so what I was uh well there, there it, was a, it was it was still scaled but the cap was a little bit more firm in terms of what you could go over. So that okay. was all that was left for me. Okay. So instead of signing and getting locked into a four or five year deal at 150,000 a year, I said, I'm going to sign for one year and bet on myself. And then I'll become a restricted free agent at the end of the, uh, at the end of my first year. Now, if I don't end up playing and what, you know, what have you, then I don't have any leverage. You know what happened now? Now I knew that, Dennis Johnson was getting old. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up starting, I think, 62 games my rookie year. They didn't draft uh, another point guard going into that following year. DJ got hurt, uh, I think ruptured his Achilles. So I had all the leverage in the world. Right. Well, Boston came back and offered me a qualifying offer at 225000 for the following seasons. I think a four-year deal for for 225000 a year, which I was like, I'm still going to be under everybody that was in my draft class. Mm-hmm. Even David Rivers, who was drafted after me by the Lakers with the 25th pick. So Danny Ferry had just gotten drafted by the Clippers, didn't want to come play for the Clippers. So David Falk, who was his agent, signed him to go play with this team in Italy, Il Messaggero. Mm-hmm. At that time, only the players who had ended their NBA careers at towards the end that wanted to make a little bit more money would be would go over to Europe and play. Mm. Or guys that just weren't good enough for the NBA. So at the time Bob McAdoo was the highest paid player over there, making about four hundred thousand a year. They gave Danny Ferry two million dollars to play over there and they called and they offered me a million dollars to come play for one season. And um, so I, it ain't hard to do the math, shit. Right. I could pay four <laughs> years, 225000 a year to make a million or uh, you know, cl- close to it or whatever and then, or play one year and make a million. Yeah. And look, I wasn't, I grew up in Oakland on the West Coast. I wasn't no Celtic fan. So I was like, fuck the Celtics, yeah. I'm gonna get this million. Yeah. I'm gonna play 30, 35 games yep. maybe in, yep. the, in the year. So sweeter deal. I gave them 48 hours to give me a better offer. It was, I'm dealing with Red Auerbach and Jan Volk. Um, Jan Volk was the general manager. Red Auerbach was the president of the Celtics. They thought I was bullshitting. 48 hours came. They didn't make me a better offer. The team from Italy faxed me a contract. I signed the contract, faxed it back. The news came out and then Red Auerbach called me and said, what are you doing? We'll give you, we'll give you what you want. Uh, tear up the contract. I said, it's too late now. I, I signed my contract. I got to go. Yeah. So, I, that's how I ended up over there. Had a great year over there playing. Um, and by the end of the season, the team had told me that they were going to tear up my contract and pay me $3 million a year, which nobody in the NBA at that time was even making $2 million a year. Hey. So, I said, shit, okay, I'm going to stay over here and play some more. Yeah. <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> well, the problem was, halfway through the season, Jan Boak flew from Boston to to Italy, to Rome, and we met in a limo and I signed the contract to go back to Boston. It's starting out at a million one a year going forward. And uh I I didn't I had fired my agent, so I'm I'm thinking I'm smart. I can, you know, it looks like a standard contract yeah. and everything. Well it had one little clause in it that said that between the month of June 20th to July 20th, I had to rescind my contract with the Italian team and, and honor the contract that I just signed in this limo with the, with the Celtics. So I didn't see that clause. Yeah. So when the season ended and the Italian team offered me three times mm-hmm. more money, I wrote a letter to the Celtics and said, uh, when I signed this contract, I didn't have uh, I wasn't under the advisement advisement of a of a lawyer, mm-hmm. an agent, and um, I'm deciding to honor my second year to come back to Italy and play. And then they were like, "Nah, you signed. We got a contract with you." So they took me to court. So it was the Boston mm-hmm. Celtics, the oh, yeah. NBA, the Commonwealth of Massachusetts versus Brian Shaw, yeah. which was a a big court case at the time. And that's ultimately what landed me back with the Celtics. With the Celtics.
0: You had to have been hot. Dude. That's crazy. I was,
2: I was, and I wasn't. Yeah. I mean, you know, I because I ended up getting the money that I wanted. Yeah, um, which I should. I felt like I should have been getting, uh, you know, the whole time anyway. Um, and I had to take a lot of heat. You know, when I got back to Boston, you know, everybody was like, <laughs> you know, calling me Benedict Arnold. How the fuck did you leave the C- the Celtics? You know, because of their storied history and yep. this, that, and the other. But I learned real fast. It's a business, yeah. right? And I had to look out for my. They what? They didn't give a shit about me when they paid me one fifty, which was underpaid, and they only offered me a qualifying offer at two twenty five after that. So this little this little nigga from Oakland was <laughs> <who's> like, <laughs> Nah, we ain't, the math ain't math And school. So yeah. <laughs> we, we gonna do it this way, and then uh, and and so when I got back, the whole first month. And and statistically for me, that was my best year in the NBA, the year I came back from Italy and played with played for Boston. But the first month of the season, every, every time I touched the ball at home in the Boston Garden, I, the fans booed me. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I had to go through a you whole lot of that. shit and then, you know, what kind of city Boston right. it was Different. and mm-hmm. is. And so, um, yeah, so I had to endure a lot, but I wouldn't take anything back. Mm-hmm. You know, I would do it all over again. Mm-hmm.
0: While you're there in Boston, you play alongside the bird, uh, Larry. Uh, what was most memorable stories with Larry that you can tell us about? Because we all know how notorious of a shit talker he was. Yeah, that was, that was it. I mean, how much shit he talked,
2: right? Because I thought when I first got there and having grown up on the West Coast and always pulled against the, Lake, uh, the Celtics when they were playing against the Lakers you know, during the Showtime days, um I was like man they letting this white boy who who can't jump who's not athletic kill them like that he ain't that damn good yeah. until I got there. Yeah. And I remember one of the first practices um he told me and Reggie Lewis he said I want to play you guys one on two <laughs>
4: up to up <laughs> to seven
2: right yeah. and so like, like come on man <laughs> he was like the only catch is I get the ball first. So me and Reggie look at each other we like yeah all right man whatever so the next thing you know, it's six nothing. Yeah. <laughs> right? We ain't even touched the ball yet. He hits his first six shots. Yeah. So when it got to be six nothing and we go into seven, we like cause it would be like one of us would guard him and another one would be ready to try to get the rebound. So we was like, fuck that. We double teamed him. <laughs> he finally missed. We got the ball. And then we just kind of played keep away from him. We end up coming back and winning seven to six. So yeah. then I was like and that was one of my early experiences with him. I was like, okay, all right, he he got a little bit more than what I what I thought he had. Then when we started playing, he was cooking everybody, but talking shit and telling them about it. And Kevin McHale was a bad motherfucker too, and yeah. he used to talk a lot of shit. So they would and, and and I'll share this quick story. We were playing Utah, and back then you score on a play, you just keep running it again again until until they stop it. So I would I would have to hit Reggie, go through, set a cross screen for Larry. And Carl Malone was guarding Larry. Larry was killing him. Kevin McHale was locking Carl Malone up on the other end. Uh-huh. And Larry was talking about, yeah, we two bad white boys, ain't we? <laughs> so I remember going across, setting a screen on Carl the first time. Larry came off, caught it, scored. As we were running back down the court, Carl Malone said, Young fella, you set a screen on me again like that. I'ma knock your head off your shoulders. The whole time I'm running down court, I'm like, damn, is he really going to do this shit? And I know we're about to run the play (laughs) again, right? Because we just scored on him. So I hit Reggie again. I go across to set the pick. I'm standing in the middle of the lane. Larry cuts off, and I see Carl rear his... Uh, forearm back like this and and I, so I'm standing in standing in I'm like is this motherfucker really gonna try to do it and then he came through and at the last second I jumped out the way and I was like damn he really yeah. and he was gonna take it out on me yeah. cause Larry cause they was both busting bustin his ass his you know busting his ass and talking shit but uh, you know that that story and the, and, and the last one that stuck out with me as a rookie we were staying at the Howard Johnson's Motel by Fenway Park and Larry came and brought got all the rookies that were trying out for the team, and took us to dinner. And so we're sitting at dinner. We can't admit, we can't believe like Larry Bird is actually taking us out. And and we said, hey, you know where where is it that we can go out down here in Boston tonight? He said, go to the Ramrod. It's a club right across the street from the um from the motel. Ramrod. Yeah. So the name right there, right the Ramrod. I'm like, that don't sound right. Yeah, right, sounds, <laughs>
0: sound, sound a <laughs> little fishy. So
2: we get back. You know, we wait until it gets a little bit later and shit. Come out the motel, and across the street is the club, the Ramrod. So we come out and look, and it's a long ass line waiting to get in. Get get in. So we walk across the street. It's dark out. It's all dudes <laughs> in black leather. <laughs> and motorcycles and shit, but all, all not a, a one single woman. Yeah. So we are like, and the club is called the Ramrod. <laughs> so we oh, so was like, oh, okay, <laughs> <laughs> he was trying to do us dirty. <laughs> so we got when we got to practice the next day to in training camp, he just he was cracking up, yeah. you know. About it, but that's but that's where he sent it. So he had a, he had a great sense of humor. He talked a lot of shit, um, but a great teammate to. As a young player to come up and you know learn under and teach you the right way to do things, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you know because you you played you you played in Indiana when he was the president there, mm-hmm. you know what kind of dude he
0: was. Yeah, yeah. Now nah, he was definitely a prankster. He was uh, you know, I had stories with him where you know I had some some stuff that went on in in, <laughs> in my early career with you know I had this catfish situation, and uh, he texted me the picture that got leaked. Uh, <laughs> And it it was just funny him being, you know, the president and the relationship that we had. Uh, but that was him, man. He was just a prankster and, and, you know, he would have his days. I will say that some days, you know, not to fuck with Larry. Uh, but then, you know, for the most part, he was. You know, he he was pretty cool and chill.
3: We've heard the rumors that Larry would actually be offended if another white guy would would be guarding him. Was that true? And do you have any stories of, of him kind of <laughs> complaining about that? That's yeah, right.
2: that's definitely true. Um He definitely took it as an insult if you put a white dude on him. And the one example that I can remember, we were playing Phoenix Suns. I think Cotton Fitzsimmons was their head coach. And they had a pretty good player, white dude named Tom Chambers that could, I don't know if you guys remember him oh, yeah, jumping Tom. over Mark mm-hmm. Jackson mm-hmm. when he, when he dunked the ball and Tom Chambers was, was gardening and Larry caught the ball in front of a in front of their bench. And, like, just turned around and just had a full-on conversation with Cotton Fitzsimmons and the and their coaching staff. <laughs> Y'all really going to try to disrespect me like this? Y'all going to put this white dude on Hilarious. me to think that he could guard me? And then just turn around and just shot a jumper in his face and just went down court, you know, shaking yeah. his head. <laughs> but, like, stuff like that was just – it was just commonplace, you know. But he definitely, definitely felt
1: insulted um, <laughs> if you tried to put a white dude on. That's me. funny. I want to uh, take you to your coaching years back in 2007 where your boy Kobe Bryant publicly went on and said he wanted to get traded from the Lakers and considering that this time you've been knowing this man for many years I want to know did you ever have a conversation with him about his future because we had our boy Jerry Weston right there he said Kobe called him on his phone and was like hey I want to be traded to the Grizzlies man give me a little little insight on that
2: yeah I mean I You know, in terms of the business side of it and all of that, I don't know all of that, but um, he was serious. And his his I mean, it was all part of his tactics in terms of, you know, the team wasn't very good at that time. Right. We had. um, Smush Parker was, I think, our starting point guard and Kwame Brown, I think, was our starting center. Um, They had traded Shaq. So, you know, we had, you know, the team was I don't even think the team was a playoff team that year. So Kobe was trying to put pressure on the Lakers Mm. to fortify the the roster or he was going to invoke his free agency and test the market and probably also reminded them that when Shaq was a young player, how Orlando let him get away for nothing Mm. and he had the ability to walk without the Lakers getting any kind of conversation or anything with him. So uh, lo and behold... By the end of that season, um, or before the trade deadline deadline that season, I think we traded Javaris Crittenton, Kwame Brown, mm. and we had the rights to Mark Gasol, who was still playing mm. uh, over in Spain. Mm. We had drafted him with the second round in the second round that year. We traded those three to to uh, to the Grizzlies, Memphis, for. Powell Gasol, you know, went from the terrible team in two thousand seven to two thousand eight, going to the finals mm-hmm. and and losing to the we lost to the Celtics in the in the finals that year. Mm-hmm.
0: You brought up the trade bringing Powell in. Was there any other superstars that was on the table or that y'all was looking at besides Powell, or was Powell the initial target that Kobe wanted?
2: Yeah, I think that I think that Kevin Garnett was free, mm. and um or you know, wanted to get out of Minnesota at that time. Ooh, ooh. And so everybody was hoping, because at that time, uh, I think Kobe, no, Kobe had already switched over to Nike, but Kevin Garnett was an Adidas guy. Kobe mm-hmm. had started out being Adidas. So we thought that there was going to be a chance that KG would want to come and uh, and play with Kobe, wow. which, that you know, if that, that would have happened. And then we already had gone through some stuff with, uh, you know, I don't know if that was before or after. You know, we we had traded for Chris Paul, and then David Stern stepped in and said, nah, that ain't happening. Yeah. I you know, remember but, that. But uh, we thought for sure we were going to have a chance. I think that's out of, that's off the top of my head, that's the only one that I could really remember that we thought we might have a chance to get. That didn't happen. I think KG ended up going to, he ended up going to Boston. And so um, we ended up with Powell, which worked out great. They beat us in '08. We won the championship in 2009 and 2010. In 2010, we were able to get revenge against their loss, mm-hmm. avenge the loss of, uh, you know from 2008
0: yeah. yeah what how did stern veto that trade what what part of that trade stern was a gangster yeah no i know that, <laughs> I know that.
4: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but cuz the trade where we all thought even as a kid like me knowing like oh, okay chris paul about to go to the lakers right and then I find out later, like, no. Nah, yeah, because it happened. Yeah. And then it didn't. So what like Stern just was
2: like, no, nah, this ain't. So what helped him make that not happen was at the time, New Orleans owners, uh, they were selling the team or whatever. So the team was actually being controlled by the NBA. Got it. Because um, the sale hadn't, your sale hadn't gone through or whatever. And so, you know, they were there, all the other teams were complaining about how the small market teams never have a chance because these larger markets always can can afford to pay the stars, and they can, and so they always end up losing the uh, the players. So when that trade happened, because I remember, somehow Lamar was going to end up in Dallas, and and uh, he was going to be part of the trade, and then he he was like, "I'm not going to Dallas," you know, and what have you. But then Stern came in and said he vetoed the trade. So it was a three-team trade. Yeah, yeah, it was a three-team trade and I don't even remember who we were going to get. Uh I think we were going to get David West and uh, cuz at the time he was playing in New Orleans. Uh and I can't remember who else, but um but yeah, the trade trade never happened. Um like I said, he he it happened but then he vetoed it. Yeah, he vetoed it. it. Um and I think he was able to do it because during that time he was the the league was controlling the New Orleans uh franchise until they made the trade. I mean until they made the sale. Yeah.
0: Damn that that woo. Yeah. So That's Kobe probably. possibly could have been with KG, could have been with CP. That would have been scary. But, but he, still, way. he still he <laughs> still ends up with five championships.
1: That's crazy. Yeah. I wonder how much he would have had <laughs> if right. Boy, right. the 10, 11, <laughs> Shit. I want to talk about when you uh left the Lakers and you became the assistant coach with young big nose PG over there. <laughs> when he All was right, young with the little hairline. Uh, I wanna know what moments out of them two seasons with him stick with you about coaching PG. I knew one thing. I knew he had grew
2: up in the LA area. Um and um that he was very talented. Um I didn't know, you know, I didn't know much much else about him. I knew he had gone to Where'd you, where'd you commit to first? Pepperdine? Pepperdine. And then Fresno. Santa Clara
0: first Santa then Pepperdine.
2: and Pepperdine. And then end up at Fresno. So I knew a little bit about him, not a whole lot. Um, and then when I got to Indiana and I actually, you know, started working with him, um, I was like, "Damn, this dude is damn near six, six, nine, six, eight, six, nine. And I'm not just saying that because we hear, but I think that what separates MJ and what separates Kobe from all the other, their their contemporaries and counterparts is that obviously the God-given talent, their work ethic and drive and all of that, but they were fundamentally sound also, right? So you had guys like Vince Carter, Tracy McGrady and what have you, uh, other guys that were really, really good, but they weren't as fundamentally sound in terms of the footwork and stuff that they had, that that Kobe and Michael had. Right, right. So when I got to Indiana, um, PG asked me a lot of questions about Kobe. Um, what was his work ethic like? You know, what did he do? You know, this, that, and the other. And we talked about the area on the floor, the pinch posts. And like, this is the kill spot because it's hard for people to come double team you from this spot. And so, and you can also, you're, you're within passing distance of your other four teammates. You can get to the basket in one dribble It's within your shooting range. Um, You know, so all these things that that, you know, and I shared stories with him about how Kobe used to practice his moves five or 10 minutes without a ball, just visualizing what the defense was going to do. Then with the ball, um, just just doing the different pivots and then start shooting. He would do that, you know, pretty much every day before practice. And so. When when I first got there with P some mornings we would come in and we would do stuff. And then some mornings, you know, he was hanging, hanging out or whatever and, and wouldn't come or would be late or whatever. And then I'd be <laughs> like, well, I'm gonna tell you one thing about Kobe. He didn't never shortcut anything. Right. So when it was time to work, like he, he had this mentality, this is his job. And so he's going to put his time in at his job. That has to be first priority above everything else. Um, He, he then, he took to that because he, Obviously he really looked up to Kobe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Started to do it. Started to put in the work. Quickly elevated his level of play. Um and as I got closer with him and started finding out what some of his interests were, fishing was one of them. So Yeah, really buddy. Right, and I lived on a lake. Right. They all lived downtown at that time, I believe, and so mm-hmm. so one time his father was out visiting he came, they came over. Um, I had a little pontoon boat. We went out on the boat, we fished. And so I was like, okay, I know two things that I can get his attention about. <laughs> fishing and anything Kobe related. Mm. And so as that season went on, I noticed that he he got a lot of shots blocked when he would go to the basket. Right. Like he, he, he didn't have a mentality at that time of, of finishing throwing the ball down he was going to the basket thinking about Being laying wrong. it up and, and I remember pulling him aside one day and I said I said hey man you damn near 68 you you're athletic um you know long you got your mentality got to change when you get in the lane stop ducking and avoiding contact and start going up and dunking on them right this picture right <laughs> here and I said it before you got here when I looked up that was his coming of age as a man in the NBA, his nose. we playing. <laughs> <laughs> we playing. The, we playing the Heat, LeBron, and he went down the lane, and he went up, and that was the first time that I seen him. That I saw him, like, you know, reckless abandon. I'm dunking on whoever whoever's coming. You see, Birdman tried to come over and and, and got out of the way. And when that happened, that's to me. That's when he became a man in the NBA, on that plate, that's in that come picture. On, like, on. Right? Come on, come and, on. And I, and I talked about it before as well. They called a timeout right after that. And so he was walking to the bench and LeBron was walking to their bench and LeBron said something to him. P walked over and then LeBron dapped him. And then that was, to me, like his, like, okay, now you're in this echelon of 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 being an NBA and NBA I like this
1: star more now because mm-hmm. it got more meaning for yeah yeah that's that's when it was no, yeah. I, said, I said that before you said now, that yeah, he
0: literally yeah he he literally kept telling me because I was getting it blocked by D Wade Brown was blocking my shit like so Who he meddle? like you damn near six <laughs> nine like stop being small so the next opportunity I had I'm I'm I gotta go finish <laughs> this ball. shit. Yep. And then, really, that whole series, everything I tried to dunk, everything that that's I could. Awesome too. And uh, yeah, from that point on, it kind of changed how you, I attacked the rim. What
2: did you get? You got most improved player. was it that year or uh, the next year? That
0: that was that was our first Miami. Yeah, that was, yeah that's the first. it was that one. year. That was my third year. Yeah. So he got most improved player in the NBA that year.
2: And um, just, if y'all could if y'all could pull up some footage of when he was up on stage. Getting his uh, trophy for most Improved My soup. player. Oh, his they going to pull it up. It <laughs> <trial>. <laughs> they going to pull it
4: up. <laughs> Let me I tell you, something. I used to wear y'all's Wait, shoes. Was that the, the red, red one?
2: No, no it black. wasn't red. It was all okay, black. Okay, me, okay. you. <laughs> Jackie, we could all fit in that suit. Okay. <laughs> and it was about it it was, this yeah. much too long. <laughs> Please I'm show us picture. Y'all gotta find it. Oh my god.
1: Y'all gotta find it. Who was your tailor back then? I have one.
3: I was in Indy. He's mopping suit, like, yeah, this look right. <laughs> it's bigger. It's bigger
2: than what Steve that? Harvey. No, that's gonna justice man. right there. You you gotta, gotta yeah, yeah. You got to see how long the pants
3: were, and that's everything. funny. That's you look, how I used to you start though. Try to be professional. <laughs> came out there looking goofy. That's
0: hilarious. Yeah, it was nasty. I am not gonna lie. <laughs> the bottom of my uh the bottom of the pants was ripping because the pants were too drag, long. Yeah, they were I'm dragging trying.
2: on the ground. They probably was getting caught around <laughs> his uh, shoe and everything.
0: I'm to ah! You're looking behind yeah. Uh <laughs> I, I will say though that like I think having you there at that point in my career really changed. Because, you know, that Kobe was my guy. So, to have someone that, you know, have seen that side of Kobe and could share, you know, what he went through, how he prepared, like, that went a long ways for me. Um, because at that point in time, like, Danny was my dad, my And Danny did things a little different, right? you know. Danny was, you know, a, a great mentor for me. But I think where I was trying to get to um, was – a little bit different of how Danny for approached sure. it. For sure. So for, and I remember I, I shared this story. You remember we played Golden State and I went scoreless. And we had that plane ride back and you would, I had a conversation with you on that flight. I don't know if you remember. Uh, remember. But that's where it kind of started where you told me I need to have a routine. Oh yeah. Uh, and Kobe would do this and Kobe would do that. And we played them that night in Golden State, and flew back to Indy. And I remember we got in maybe I don't know five, four, five, six in the morning, something like that. I went straight to the gym and just put up hella shots, and that kind of changed how I prepared uh, going into games and, and that season. And that's what and that's what
2: a coach is supposed to do, right? Like you, everybody has different ways of retaining information, different ways of learning. And I think a coach, being a coach, being a parent, being a teacher, kind of all goes together. All your kids are going to be different, you know, what have you. And so you got to tap into, OK, he might be a visual learner. He might be a auditory learner. You got to hear it or he got to he's a kinesthetic learner. He got to put his body through it in order to uh in order to be able to get it right. Tex Winter used to always say seven repetition. It takes seven, seven repetitions of anything for your muscle memory to kick in. Right. And so, just in knowing that, like I said, fishing, uh-huh. uh, how he he admired Kobe, I knew I could grab his attention during that. But he he put in the work, you know. Once once uh, you know he, he established that this is my priority, this is how I can make a living and provide for my family and do you know do all the things that all of us wanted to do. He tapped in, he did the work, you know. And so that's the satisfaction that I get out of being a coach. Mm-hmm. Shit, I love playing a lot better because when you played, (laughs) you could you could actually do something about it. Right. Right. You can make a basket or you could shut somebody down, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever. You just try to prepare your team as a coach and hope that they can go out and and execute. Um, And not not to mention, you put in a lot more work as a coach and get a lot less money. Mm -hmm. Exactly.
0: (laughs) That is true. Before we wrap on story mode. We gotta ask about the Latrell Sprewell PJ Carlissimo altercation. I had no idea that you was on that team. You was back playing home your yeah. uh, hometown yep. um, on the Warriors at the time. What led to the the the, the chokehold yeah. Sprewell put on Carlissimo? And, and was there a build up <laughs> that y'all saw like it's it's bubbling over. It's bound to happen.
2: Yeah, so nobody really uh talked about it cause, because they actually the law enforcement put a gag order on us. The, the judge put a gag order on the whole team to not talk, to not about, talk about the, it. About the mm-hmm. incident. But, yeah, there was a buildup. Basically, spree, I mean, uh, PJ, who's a great guy, you know, off the court and what have you, do anything for you, give you the shirt off his back, um, was a different animal when, it, when, it, when he was coaching, uh-huh. right? So he referred to everybody as motherfucker this, motherfucker that. And I had just got traded to the Warriors from Orlando. So when I first got there and he was addressing everybody and talking to everybody like that, I was like, damn, you know, is dude always like this? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So Spree was an all-star, you know, had represented the Warriors. PJ had just come over from coaching Portland. Mm -hmm. And prior to that, he was a head coach at Seton Hall, right? So college coaches, completely different animal Mm -hmm. than NBA, right? And so he brought some of that college shit to the NBA, which don't fly. Mm -hmm. So he had... He had some, I think, personal issues with Spreewell because Spreewell wore the, the, the cornrows, French braids. Spreewell didn't ad- adhere to the dress code, um, and he and now uh, he worked and he was good, and so there's nothing that you could say about, you know, his work ethic and everything else. But when we got on the plane or on the bus to go wherever, he wore what he wanted to wear, usually sweats and some slides, and he would have his headphones on, listening to his music, and that bugged PJ. So he'd be, you know, and back then we had a dress code. Mm-hmm. So was smart. He said, look, man, PJ would always say something to him about what he had on, about his way his hair was uh, braided. So Spreewell one time took off his uh, headphones and he said, he, uh, we were on the plane. And, and he said, listen, man, I talked to my agent. Um, Y'all can find me $500 if I don't adhere to the dress code. We got 41 uh, away games. So take 500 times 41, that's 20000 whatever, you know, $100 and 20000 and take that shit out of my check and leave me the fuck alone. I'm going to dress how I want to dress. Mm-hmm. Put his headphones back <laughs> on <laughs> and then start listening to <laughs> he, Yeah, he, he used to listen to Wu-Tang all the time, yeah. right? And he always used to say, don't fuck, you don't want to fuck with a soldier. <laughs> and and so, so, we're in practice one day. Me, Bimbo, Coes and I mean me, Muggsy Bogues and and uh and Spree were shooting at a basket. PJ comes in, uh, we're just doing three man shooting, and he's and he just comes down and he's like, You gotta give me more than that to Spree. Mm-hmm. And, and Spree was a worker. Mm-hmm. So he didn't say nothing. He kept shooting. PJ went away. He came back a couple minutes later. He's like, if that's all you gonna give me, get the fuck out of my gym. So Spree said, He said, Look, man. You say one more thing to me, I'm going to fuck you up. So everybody kind of was like, you know, everybody was at different baskets. So he came back and said something again. And that time when he came back, Spree just took the ball. He just dropped it. He just walked over to, to PJ, grabbed him around the neck. So to be honest, the other players, because of how PJ used to talk to him, was like, you fucking go ahead and choke the shit out of his ass, right? And the assistant coaches and everybody, they all ran over trying to get Spree off of him. And he was like a crazed animal at that time. So he never let go of PJ's neck. He was kicking the assistants that was trying to get him loose. They finally pried him loose. And uh, like and so it. then security came in and they they kicked him out. So we met as a team. Now, this is in 90, 97. And I'm one of the older guys on the team, even at that time, mm-hmm. me, uh, Muggsy Bogues. And so the PJ, Gary St. Jane, who G- St. Jean, who was our GM, we, they meet. They say, listen, this happened in-house. We're going to keep it in-house. Don't nobody say anything to anybody. What do you guys think is an appropriate uh, punishment for him, right? So we, we met. We said 10-game suspension. Um, and he got to go to some anger management classes. So everybody agreed, okay, cool. That's what that's mm-hmm. what it'll be. Mm-hmm. That was going to cost him a million dollars. So I live in Oakland. So practice ended. We're not supposed to say nothing to anybody. By the time I get home, ten minutes from the, from the, uh, practice facility, I turn on the TV. It's
1: all there, it's all the TV. They
2: got pictures of PJ's neck with the fingerprint, uh, the uh, fingernail marks in his neck. And everything, and they the Warriors got to put their spin on what happened. But then we got a gag order that we couldn't you talk about. So what happened was they ended up suspending Spree for the rest of the season. He had the uh the shoe contract with Converse at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh so all the endorsements he had, they dropped him. They kind of painted him as the villain. Mm-hmm. And like we don't we didn't condone what he did, but it's two sides to every story. So we decided as a team we're gonna go when he he had a press conference. We're gonna stand up behind the stage and and and, and support of our teammate. Well, w- we also told all the guys, the young guys, look for y'all that don't have a lot of skin in the game, you might not want to get up here on the stage because it's gonna be the beginning of the end for us. Mm-hmm. But we just want to make it clear that we are here to Aren't support him. We don't condone what he did, and and he's gonna apologize for it, and we standing here behind him. Me, Bimbo, Coles, Joe Smith, uh, uh, Felton Spencer, Robert Ory, who was playing for Houston. We were playing, getting ready to play them, and him and Spree went to Alabama together, so he even came Mm -hmm. and stood behind there with us. Um, And it was maybe one or two other guys, and Dwayne Farrell. So we stand up behind him. Spree apologizes and what have you. About two weeks later, uh, I'm in the hotel. Get a knock on the door. It's P.J. Carlissimo. Uh, we're in Portland. You and Joe Smith just got traded to to uh, <laughs> Philadelphia <laughs> for Jim Jackson and Clarence Weatherspoon, yeah. and then everybody who stood behind all <laughs> traded, traded or cut, all released. Nicky Simpkins got cut. Yeah, we. I see him. I'm flying to Portland. I see him at the airport. I'm like, <laughs> me and Joe Smith at the airport. I'm like, man, what you doing here? You got traded too? He was like, nah, they cut me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nah, they but cut um, me. yeah, that's 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 exactly how it went down. And it was a buildup. It was frustration because the team was losing. PJ was hard on everybody, like I told you earlier, how the coaches used to deal with players, and Spree wasn't having it. Yeah, and so y'all had his back though. He better get y'all some
1: Spree World, World for free. <laughs> right. shit. Better deal have some. Yeah. Some. A not us. A some. Not some yeah. Yeah. Y'all better yeah. have some real shit. <laughs>
0: Hey, B, we want to thank you, man. It's a wrap for the episode. We appreciate your time and the story modes that you have for us today. It's a wrap
1: We well, need to congratulate Peace. you, though, P. Oh, what? Oh, yeah. Being the tippers leading oh, three oh, points. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Come on, yeah, baby. yeah. yeah, yeah. Congratulations. In yeah. fashion,
0: when, when it happened, I was over there arguing with the refs. Because so. <laughs> I be on his ass about,
2: about, about uh, I'm like, look, man, there I ain't never go. in my in the 36 years I've been involved in the NBA seen a referee say, you know what? Rewind the clock three minutes <laughs> and uh, let's take that foul. Let's call that foul that we missed on him or whatever. Yeah. And, and so he, he ended up losing three or four possessions because he he's so mad at yeah. the referees And like he said, yeah, he, was, he was doing that. As they congratulate me, I'm over here. He still, ain't done so, he, he still ain't done something that I did. What? Who the first dude in the NBA to ever hit 10 three pointers in an NBA game? 10 three pointers? Yeah, Stephen Curry almost did it the other day. She had- he hit had 11 the other day. But yeah. who the
0: first one to hit 10? Yeah, you said that. You was the first to do it. Me? Yeah. Me. Come on, put something on it. Put it on He was the first. He did say that. That's a wrap. You guys tune in. We'll be back next Monday on Podcast P.